You're listening to the Comic Book Informer Podcast with Vince and Raj, a podcast for everyone from comic nerds to comic noobs. You know who you are. Now here's your host, Raj. Hello, welcome to the Comic Book Informer Podcast. This is Roger coming to you on July 5th, a day late. And if you cannot guess by the sound of my voice why that is, well, then you shouldn't be listening to the show. <laughs> so how are you doing tonight, Vince? I am capable of breathing. That's a step up. All right. <laughs> well, from you, at least. I, I almost can. I'm going to run out of breath often, quite likely, but that's all right. Um, we had a lot of news this week in regards to what's going on with Marvel now, which I kind of found was somewhat funny, considering the the shakeup at, uh, at DC last year that was would have been right around the same time. Mm-hmm. So what did you so- take from all this? Well, I'm sure we're going to be hearing a lot more coming up at uh, San Diego Comic-Con next week. But right now they've announced that it's definitely not a reboot and they don't even want to call it a relaunch, but they're they're relaunching. They're, they're starting in October and running through February, they're going to have a vast amount of their comics coming out with brand new creative teams and brand new number one issues. Uh, I, love, I like what Axel Alonso said where – he kind of took that little shot at DC. He's like, we want to be nice to our retailers and customers and not feel like they have to buy 50 new comics in one month just to get everything. <laughs> yeah, but they're taking a little too many jabs at DC here when, in fact, they're doing the exact same thing, just this not, is true. And not in the same scope we, like everything. We had to know it was coming because while you know at this point it's not that big of a, a boost for them, the, the amount of money they made off that relaunch that – Marvel had to look at that and go, yeah, we want a piece of that pie too. Especially when you consider that the Marvel characters are more popular right now than they have been in quite possibly ever. But still, people aren't buying the comics. So they kind of do have to make that big splash, get that big media attention to hopefully bring some of those movie fans into the actual comics, or at least more than they currently are. Yeah. Uh, So far, they have announced three of their flagship titles that are going to be running throughout this new, uh, as they're calling it, the Marvel Now age. First of all, we have the lamest name ever. Yeah. What the hell? (laughs) First of all, we have Uncanny Avengers. Uh, As they say, after the Avengers versus X-Men, Captain America realizes that the the X-Men and the Avengers kind of need to work together a little more often than they have been over the past ever. So he decides that they're going to form a team of uh, superstars, if you will, from both the X-Men and the Avengers. This comic is going to be written by Rick Remender, which is enough to make me read it, and art by John Cassidy. And this is actually his first monthly comic he's done since he did Astonishing X-Men with Whedon years ago. So that's a pretty big move uh, for Marvel, bringing him back into the monthly fold. I loved his stuff in uh, with those Astonishing X-Men as well. So, mm-hmm. And uh, actually, just today, they showed off the cover for issue number one with at least a, a fraction of the team. Uh, it's going to consist of Captain America, Wolverine, Scarlet Witch, Rogue, Thor, and Havoc. So that's a pretty interesting mix. And we're seeing also seeing a lot of uh, costume and character redesigns going into the relaunch. Uh, I'm Particularly, I actually really like the Scarlet Witch's new costume. and things better than a swimsuit and a leotard. Yeah, really. <laughs> they're saying, too, that they're going to be doing a lot more with Havoc this time around, which I'm kind of interested to see what that means. I've always liked Havoc, and he, you know, he's always had that you know, second-tier spot behind his 
big brother Cyclops, but putting him on an Avengers team, that's that's a pretty big move. Yeah, they were saying they're actually going to be doing a lot with him. So that that dynamic between him and Scott, too, is going to be interesting to see if he's that important in the Avengers team to see then how that's going to influence the relationship between the Avengers and the X-Men because of that. You know what I mean? Mm hmm. All right. Also, uh, we have from Brian Bendis finishing up his work on the Avengers over the past decade, uh, along with Stuart Imonen moving over to the X-Men with a new comic, All New X-Men, which is essentially the original five X-Men, Cyclops, Marvel Girl, Jean Grey, Iceman, Beast and Angel time displaced into the current Marvel universe where they get to see their own future and are really pissed off about how badly they've all screwed up their lives. You know what it's funny is when I read that, I'm thinking, you know, I, I love time travel stories and things like that, but you get so fed up of continuity being shifted in comics and people don't stay dead and, and things like that. And of course, Marvel girl, that's, that's the big one, you know, that's everybody wants her back kind of thing, but not as the older jaded Jean Grey or as Phoenix, but as Marvel girl. So they were saying, yeah, that's what you're going to get here. And again, it's one of those, like, I hate when there's a cheat like that, but goddamn, doesn't it sound interesting anyways? <laughs> yeah, I mean, look at where those original five are today. Cyclops has lost his freaking mind, essentially become a dictator at this point. Jean, her issues have been well publicized over the decades. Uh, Beast, remember back in the day, he didn't have all the fur. That came from an experiment where he tried to cure himself of his mutancy. So that's a big character development issue for him. Yeah, I want to see the I, look on his face when he sees himself. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, of course, Angel... Uh, he, he ain't there no more. <laughs> he's just his body still is, but and there there is no Warren Worthington anymore. And even even Bobby seeing that, you know, he yeah. hasn't really matured much over the years right, and, yeah. and he never reached his potential. I think that could be an interesting aspect as well. I think he'll probably be the least interesting in all honesty, just because well, there's been course, so little others, change. There's so much more to work with. Yeah. But no, it's it it is again, it, it just it looks like it's going to be fun to read and and probably a lot of fun to write as well for him. Mm -hmm. Getting getting to play with characters he hasn't yet. Exactly. That's, that's always good. Because honestly, he he's run out of ideas for adventures. He, he, he did a lot of cool stuff, but he's, he's kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel at this point. Well, it's going to be interesting, too, because this is now going to have an impact on actual canon for the character's now they were saying this is not going to be just a, a like stupid kind of time travel where it doesn't affect things no no this this is going to fit into the canon so that means that has the potential now to spill over into all of the x titles as well as potentially quite a few of the avengers as well kind of thing so you're going to have a lot of potential for other writers not just him to really have a lot of fun with these characters that are you know out of the 60s and 70s kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And then the last one they announced is just your proper Avengers title. And I will buy this on two words alone. Jonathan Hickman. Yeah. And also with art by Jerome Opeña. And he said this comic is going to have a large cast of Avengers. He said uh, somewhere in the vicinity of 18 characters in the Avengers. I'm going to assume that doesn't mean all 18 will be going on every mission. You know, kind of having that pick and choose, you know, who's best for this particular story arc. Because that's what 
you know, that's what Hickman does. Look at all the characters he's working with in Fantastic Four. They're not all in every issue. And, and that's what I like because he even said he's going to have, you know, the big five, six issue story arcs. But he's also going to have stories that are just one or two issues, you know, focusing on the actual characters instead of the big action. And just based on what he's done with Fantastic Four, I have no reason to believe this isn't going to be amazing as well. Yeah, well, he's proven he can do exactly that. We've seen it from the monstrous story arcs to then the single issues like the one with the thing that he can pull it off with surprising ease, or at least he makes it look that way. So yeah, and he's already said with this this too that he's very interested in doing the a lot of galactic stuff as well. I'm thinking he's probably going to be the one that's going to be handling freaking Rocket Raccoon. I'm okay with this, because you know what? If anybody with Marvel right now can do Rocket Raccoon awesome, it's going to be Hickman. <laughs> but I mean, just going forward, it's really exciting to see what sort of new ideas they can come up with. And that's that's what this big shakeup is about. It's you know moving their creators around, moving their artists around, moving their writers around, getting new, fresh ideas out there in a way that's accessible to you know people who may not have been reading these particular comics before. We're seeing new character designs. They even said in some cases you're going to get new like origins and just updating things. And that, that I like because a lot of these things, they've been going on for decades. They are getting a bit stale. There does need to be some fresh blood and some new ideas moving in with one exception, and that's Dan Slott better still be writing <laughs> Spider-Man. Yeah, that uh, kind of goes with what I was saying. Yeah. Now, that being said, though, because they are not pushing this, not marketing it like a complete reboot like DC did, do you honestly think, though, that this kind of thing that they're doing is going to bring new people in or just sell more issues to existing readers? Well, it's definitely, even though comics as a investment are not worth anything like they used to be back in the day an issue number one is still going to sell a lot of comics regardless of you know what the title is there's plenty of people who will just buy every issue one that comes out regardless of how many times that particular title has had an issue one but like you're seeing with a lot of the redesigns um I, I never really went into the detail, but I talked about Battle Scars a while back and how Marvel made a big shift going on over there. Essentially what they did there is they introduced Nick Fury's son to the Marvel Universe and by the end of the story arc, he was basically movie Nick Fury, and they, he even took on his his original birth name, Nicholas Fury Jr. So what we're seeing in uh, some of the relaunch promotional materials is he's going to be the new Nick Fury moving forward. So if they can give the movie fans that connection, which honestly it isn't there right now because the comic characters and the movie characters are so different, if they can shift the characters slightly – but you know, still leave them intact and true to who they are and appeal to that broader audience. But it's going to help. But the main thing is getting these comics where the movie fans are going to buy them. I don't care how big of, a, of an Avengers movie fan you are. If you haven't walked into a comic shop over the past 20 years, you're not going to walk into one now. So it's going to be a big on advertising, product placement. You know, make deals with movie theaters. Put you know a, a rack of comics in the movie theater where people are going to see the movies. I, that's going to be the big thing for driving sales, not just for the number ones, but over the course of you know, this whole relaunch. See, the way that I'm looking at it is that, again, when they keep saying it's not like what DC did, that's not what we're doing. Yeah, but you know what? Say what you will about about the relaunch for DC, which, I mean, we have. The fact is, they pushed it. They advertised the crap out of this, and I firmly believe that there were a lot more sales of those number ones 
that were new people trying out comics. Sadly, they were probably disappointed and, yeah, that... and jaded and never came back, but they did walk in to go do it. And by downplaying this as not being a relaunch and things like that or a reboot, I think that they're actually hurting themselves by not advertising in a broad enough sense to get those new people in. Well, mind you, you're really not going to see much of an advertising push until after at least San Diego Comic-Con. But, you know, they have, what, three, four months to, to really push this. So if they start, you know, blowing everything out now, then, yeah, you're, they're going to kind of overdo it. So we're going to it's going to be big deal to see how they approach it over the coming months. I do. I would be like all over the place. It'd be like, yes, DC did it last year, but we're going to do it right this year. <laughs> Just go all on. You know what? Make a movie trailer. You know, pretend, you know, have people sitting down in theaters that are going to see, you know, Dark Knight Rises and they see what looks like a new Marvel trailer and have it be this. Yeah. And that would be effective. <laughs> well, that, the Spider-Man movie, you, there's a lot of place right now where they could be advertising a lot more. Anyways, let's get away from there and talk a little bit about the uh, monkey brain thing that you wanted to mention. <laughs> yeah. Um, earlier this year, when the two big topics in the comic industry and you know the internet and all that were Marvel's treatment of Jack Kirby and DC's treatment of Alan Moore, there was obviously a ton of controversy around it. We're not touching on that right now. But one of DC's writers, Chris Robertson, who... We're not particularly a fan of any of his work, but he's got enough awards under his belt to to at least have respect in the industry. Decided he was done with mainstream comics. You know, he very, very publicly quit DC and said, you know what, I'm going to go do my own thing. Well, this week we have that own thing uh, exclusive to Comixology. He has started his monkey brain comics line and it's a digital exclusive line of comics. The comics are priced from ninety nine cents to a dollar ninety nine, depending on the size of the comic. Um Five of them came out this week. Four of them are at 99 cents. The one that's $1.99 is like 30 pages. So I'm okay with that. And it's interesting because all of these works are creator owned. He said Monkey Brain is only publishing. They only, they're only making enough profit to pay for their costs. All of the profit from the sales of the comics are going directly to the creators and all of the rights for those comics are to the creators. So if they want to do a, paperback version that's perfectly fine you know monkey brain will allow them to publish it elsewhere if they want to make a movie deal if they want to do a tv option they have that full freedom to do that monkey brain is just giving them that platform to get their names and get their art their works out there and i haven't read any of them yet but some of them at least seem pretty interesting and again for a buck i'll at least try it yeah yeah no it is very cool i you got to respect the amount of 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 freedom that he's granting the writers in terms of them retaining all of the rights to their own creations. That's, that's huge. And even more so like, we, you know, we see Marvel, uh, DC image, especially image have their own versions of Marvel through icon DC through uh, vertigo and just image in general where, yeah, the, the creators do own their works, but they still take a cut of the profits. And that's where Monkey Brain is making the big difference. Since they're not taking the cut of the profits, it's that much more profitable to sell that comic at a dollar. Yeah. Yeah. No, very cool. Okay. So let's move on now to the actual topic of the week. And 
This is one that I've been wanting to talk about for a while now because I've made it clear on multiple episodes how much I've been really enjoying Powers. And they are now in their third volume, and I thought it'd be a good time to go over the story arc that spans the first 10 issues. And a lot happens during that time, but in typical fashion, it's handled so bloody well that each issue stands in and of itself quite well. Now, you had the time to go through all of them? Uh, no, I went back and read uh, most of my Volume 1 paperbacks and then jumped straight into Volume 3. I actually still haven't read any of Volume 2, just because it's been so hard to find collected editions of that. Okay, all right. Well, Volume 3 is in- interesting because you start off and Detective Christian Walt- Walker is no longer with Dina Pilgrim. So a lot happened in Volume 2 that you missed then. And some fairly interesting stuff as well. I, actually, I won't spoil that, but she... Well, I, ca- I caught most of the you recaps caught most just of the, yeah. so I would know what the heck's going on. Yeah. But that, that's that's one thing that's so great about this, though. Over, you know, however many issues and years that they've been publishing Powers, so much has changed, but the comic is still exactly the same. How do you mean? In tone, in feel, in in the way the characters act to each other. Nothing fundamentally has changed, even though so much has happened. Well, a large part of that is also the character that he created in Walker is that unchanging, stoic, good guy character. So he can maintain that persona throughout all of it, even though when you see the flashbacks that show his previous lives, he wasn't always a nice guy. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, he might have always had good motives. Well, not even always, but had some good motives. But, I mean, this current iteration of Walker is a good guy that always walks the line. He's always going to be doing what is right even when it's something that endangers him or whatever. So in keeping a character like that, it's it's easy to have a lot more havoc going on in the story around him, but he's that ball and chain that holds everything in place kind of thing. See, I don't know how much they've delved into his past over that volume two that I didn't read, but I, I love the way they approached it here, where they, like I said, even if you're coming in fresh to volume three, like I did, you know, they give you enough that even when they do these flashbacks and everything, it's not jarring. You, you, and you're able to go along with it. The character is still recognizable, even though he's a different person, he's has enough of those same qualities and i love the way they handled it with the uh the flashbacks his girlfriend was having that was so bizarre but such an interesting way to do those character flashbacks oh that was fantastic that was really really well done i enjoyed that now for people who aren't aware or haven't read any this is actually again another brian michael bendis production he he worked on this he created it with uh michael owning oming and so and oming does the uh the art for it as well which is a very very unique graphic style but it fits it absolutely perfectly so in this volume um again if you if you read volume one and two you were used to the relationship between christian walker and dina pilgrim they were the you know the buddy cops kind of thing but now she's gone and you have the new partner um enki sunrise which is ridiculous freaking name but anyway (laughs) i love every time she introduces herself you're like really yeah really (laughs) and 
it's a, you find out right from the get-go that this is a different world. Once they found out about the powers virus, the cops got inoculated so that they can actually chase down the people that are just shooting up with the virus versus the actual powers. Those are still very dangerous. And then in the like in the first issues and and then forward as well, you get a lot of backstory in the persona that Walker was immediately before this one, where he was a World War II hero, and he and his group are the ones that fought against the Nazis. And you, you get some ridiculous Nazi scenes, like with the giant Nazi robo. <laughs> <laughs> and it's ridiculous, but it fits. In a world with powers, this fits. And so you have this, this tight group of guys, and they are the ones that went after um, Hitler. And one of them is the one that actually killed Hitler. And then when these guys come back, after the war, well, they're war heroes. So now they're just riding this for all it's worth. And they get involved in Vegas with the mob. And we're talking back in the early 50s when Vegas was mob-owned. Again, all of these flashbacks were so well done because you get the gripping story of what's going on in the now because you have the murder of one of the guys that he fought with, the, the leader of that group, was killed and so they're while they're investigating that you're getting the flashbacks to the relationship that they had early on how it progressed during the war and what that relationship was after the war as well when they no longer had anything to fight for and the group falls apart eventually but again the the, the way that the flashbacks were handled over all of the issues i thought was absolutely fantastic and the flashbacks were by far the best part of the storyline. That's not saying that the modern day stuff was bad because that was still cool with the the daughter and the wife and everything. But the flashbacks were handled so well. And again, it it's just part of that comic fan aspect that we always love seeing familiar characters in different settings. So seeing Walker familiar in this different setting w was just a blast. Well, seeing Walker also being a character that is not the good mm -hmm. guy necessarily is very jarring. So it does really suck you into the story a lot more. So then, yeah, you have the stuff that's going on with the new partner as well, all the while. And, and again, it may seem like there's a lot of balls being juggled in the air at the same time here. And in a sense there are, but, it's very well handled that you don't feel like you are taking in too much information if you're new to the series. Because the new partner is actually investigating him as well to make sure that he does not have powers. Because if he did, <laughs> this, yeah. So she's investigating him, and, and that's not going very well either. You Because he does. Because he does. <laughs> <laughs> that actually came about in Volume 2 as well. Because it's not the same powers he used to have. There's a whole other thing going on there, which if you're not aware of, that's like some cosmic entity. He's the Green Lantern. He's Yeah, he's the protector of Earth, essentially. <laughs> exactly, yeah. But he can't use it, the abilities, unless the planet is in critical danger. So he can't use it to save himself even. So at one point when they are um, being chased by by a woman who has powers and she's shooting the car off the road. That was such a great action scene. Oh, too. it was. He can't use his abilities, his powers to save them. So 
there's a lot of really cool stuff going on there with the, the that detective. I'm not as crazy about that character because I think they I think that far too often writers, um, especially comic book writers too, they try to make every female cop the stereotypical tough cop, tough girl cop. And it's every once in a while, it's like, yeah, you know what? Dina did that already. We saw her. Give us something a little different. So Dina does come back, which was freaking awesome. The the panel with her showing her FBI badge was like that. He must have had a blast with that artwork. I don't know whose jaw dropped more, mine or Christian's. (laughs) That was just so awesome. So she's with the feds now working with the group that typically handles powers investigations so she actually starts working with uh walker and sunrise because they start investigating a series of murders on so-called vince quotes gods there's a group that calls themselves the the golden ones and they are they claim to be gods and one of them has his head blown off (laughs) <laughs> so then they have to start investigating how this is even possible and and you get the the arguments of whether or not they are actual gods and or just powers who are a little too full of themselves but as it progresses further and further you really start to feel that they might actually be kinds of gods and again very well written this spans quite a few issues this little story arc and it is bloody awesome yeah and i even loved um was it hades because he was depowered and the yeah. way they handled that character where uh, he didn't know like they re- they've revealed he wasn't depowered he just completely lost control of his power so that you know he really can't use them anymore and he's so terrified of it he doesn't even want his it's not like so many times you see this character oh they just want their power back he's like no i want these powers gone that was a really interesting way to handle that archetype well, it was it was very interesting also once you found out what is happening with these powers. Another one loses its head on TV. <laughs> and so now they're investigating this because if you read uh, volume one and two, you have the, uh, what's his name, Ted, uh, damn, what's his name? Ted something who does the Powers That Be show and you see it periodically. And so one of the gods goes on the show to talk about what happens, happened to the, the first god that was killed. And then her head explodes as well. So now you've got what appears to be a god serial killer out there, which I thought was fantastic. <laughs> it, was just, it was just so awesome. Yeah, because we've seen so many times before, you know, they're handling these powers crimes. And, you know, okay, yeah, your, your typical Batman, Superman, what have you type characters. Well, now we have something that's so far even beyond that archetype. It showing just how out of their league they are at this point. But be damned if they don't still try their hardest to solve the case. And that's again, that's what makes Walker and, and Pilgrim and I guess even Sunrise so so great to follow because even when they are so out of their league, they're still pursuing and still trying. Yeah. So eventually they wind up talking to the mother of the God that was killed. And, uh, and again, you get the hints when you see the story that, yeah, this is, this, this, this might very well be a God. I mean, she just disappears in in thin air when she's (laughs) done talking to them. And, then while she is actually, because she makes it onto the show as well to talk to the powers that be, and while she's there, you've also got, they found 
who they believe to be the one responsible for these, these murders. And he is someone who has jacked himself up on a homemade home brewed version of the powers <laughs> virus to the point where he is powerful enough to kill these guys. And he's telling his story as she's talking to this powers that be. And you're finding out that what happened, the reason for these murders, why this guy went off the deep end, freaking dark, twisted oh my God. crap. <laughs> and it's like, like... Just when you think it couldn't get any worse, it did. Yeah. <laughs> and and to the point when you're you're reading what happened, you're going like, my God, I'm rooting for the serial killer here. <laughs> <laughs> and so you find out again what's happening. And then you find out watching the mother, the godmother on TV, that she is a god and these other gods, they are the, a the new lesser gods, gods yeah. but they are there, the golden ones, they are, she explains their origin and stuff and explains that they are on the earth to remind men never to um, turn their backs on the gods. And... Now, Ted had already made some offhand comments <laughs> about <laughs> gods on TV, so you can see he's starting to panic <laughs> with just cause. And then that's when you see that there is an apocalypse coming here because she's freaking out losing it and there's a big-ass wave on its way. <laughs> so it, it just was absolutely fantastic. And as if that were not, again, enough balls in the air, you've also got Walker dealing with an alien invasion thing that's going on with Retro Girl. Retro Girl being hit by a the alien virus accidentally, which then comes out of her and sends a message out of the planet. <laughs> Who knows where what's going on with that? We're going to find out in another story arc, no doubt. But there's a lot going on, but you never feel like it's being crammed down your throat. It's very well written, as always, thoroughly engaging and the characters are just fantastic to read and of course all tying back into what we saw several issues back remember how i said walker's girlfriend whenever yeah. they uh, were intimate was having flashbacks to his previous lives and it was messing with her head but she also revealed she was having flashes of their future as well and we see this apocalyptic future where walker is back you know in his hero mode and you know, Heather herself dies. And in this great apocalypse, you know, that's what Walker needs to step up to, you know, save the earth. So knowing that all this amazing stuff is coming based on, you know, these couple little storylines we saw during this, my goodness, that's just really exciting to read. Oh yeah. No kidding. I mean, that issue where she talks about the, when she's writing him the letter and explaining why she left him. And it starts off with the vision that she has as a vampire hunter killing the baby. And I'm going like, holy crap, dude. <laughs> but in the context of this, it fits. And that's the other thing, too. If you are, you know, a parent listening to this podcast, this is not a comic for kids. This is a comic for adults. It's very graphic in a lot of different ways. But... 
I don't find it gratuitously violent or gratuitous. Well, maybe a little gratuitously with other stuff, but it fits <laughs> fits with the story. It makes sense. So yeah, it's just an all around fantastic series. I love this this volume three. I love what he's doing so far. Yeah, it, it's exciting because I haven't read new issues of Powers in years. Like I said, the last new issues I read were back in issue one. So it, it was really nice to be able to jump back into a, a comic that I liked so much and from a writer that, you know, pretty much everything he's written I've absolutely loved. And to get back into it, and it's that Diablo torchlight feel where it's that pink fuzzy sweater that fits so well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you want to do a flashback there. Yeah, <laughs> All right, so let's move on to what we've been reading. What have you got? Uh, last week, I mentioned that uh, new comic launching from Boom Studios, Hypernaturals, where it was a, a new saga set up as this big space epic. And I don't want to say it was great, because it wasn't great. It, it, it uses a lot of uh, typical, I don't want to go so far as say cliches, but typical building blocks that we've seen in sci-fi. But it does enough interesting things with those setups and with the characters that at least for a few more issues i'm kind of interested to see where it goes uh basically they have you know in the future you know they've, they've reached you know the, the perfect society and this and that and they have their team of hypernaturals as their you know their avenger type team and they hold a competition every year to choose the members or not every year, every five years, I think. Yeah. Every five years they pick a new team. You know, some of the returning members can come back. The rest can move on to retirement and move on with their lives. So you get this cool blend of young rookie characters with these, you know, veterans, some of which had to come out of retirement for this big crisis that they're facing. And it's just a nice mix of, you know, brand new characters, new takes on old, you know, timeless power sets. And it's, it's just something new and fresh, and I, I really enjoyed it. Cool. All right. Anything and else? also, um, I read the latest issue of Wolverine and the X-Men, uh, issue 12, which was, yes, another freaking Avengers versus X-Men tie-in. But now, uh, a full, what are we, three and a half months into the Avengers versus X-Men, somebody finally pointed out the giant elephant in the room and the fact that Rachel Gray was the phoenix for a number of years. Yeah. And never had a problem yeah. <laughs> with the with with the Phoenix Force, so it was cool to see a character focus or not a character, a story focusing on her and her role in the story, and really playing back into the history of the character stuff that I'd forgotten about from so long ago. I, it, apparently, Jason Aaron didn't forget about it, but it was a <laughs> it was a pretty cool issue, like really focused on this one character that should be more important to the storyline than she actually has been. And that's what I'd been thinking for quite a while too. Why we weren't reading more about that? So. Somebody forgot. Yeah, really? <laughs> that it? Uh, yeah, that's all I got for you this week. Okay. See, I actually went the, the opposite right way. Instead of reading the current stuff that's going on with Phoenix, <laughs> I've been reading classic Phoenix. I've been working on the actual Phoenix saga starting back from Uncanny X-Men number 105. Oh, man. And so I'm seeing the original stuff, which it's funny to see that stark contrast in storytelling that you get there that is not in what we're seeing now. And 
how different it is in terms of the importance of storytelling back then versus the importance of bash and boom and special effects and punches being thrown in AVX kind of thing. And none of this, you know, so-and-so versus so-and-so. No, <laughs> it's it's <laughs> the story is what's important, not a Capcom versus Marvel style of fighting comics so it's been really interesting i'm still not done it i'm still working my way through because i haven't read this since like you know over 25 years ago so it's kind of cool reading it now yeah when we first started getting into the whole you know comics thing with uh, our old site and everything like i'd been doing you know small scale comics coverage for you know a little while before that but when we started getting into it you asked me to like you know pick my favorite storylines and that this was one of those instantly jumped in my mind is like oh i have to go back and read this and i read it again a couple years ago and it's it's so great how well it holds up because those characters are so strong and I any story that still to this day the best Wolverine moment ever. <laughs> yeah. All right. So in terms of new releases for the week, we've got Age of Apocalypse number five, Amazing Spider-Man six eighty nine, the AVX. Uh, number 7 of 12, Punisher number 13, Ultimate Comics X-Men number 12, Uncanny X-Men AVX number uh, 15, Wolverine 310, and X-Factor 239. That's Ultimate Spider-Man, not X-Men. I said that, didn't I? You said X-Men. Oh, damn it. All right. I'll loop it three times like I do when you screw up. <laughs> it, it, it wasn't a bad screw up, just I don't want our listeners going out there and looking for a comic that came out a month ago all right all right you're right you're right okay on the dc side we got a bunch of number 11s you listed them all not all no i actually <laughs> took some out we got action comics animal man batwing detective comics uh green arrow justice league international red lantern Stormwatch. uh those are all the number 11s and then on the new reboot we've got the number threes from dial h I put it in there. I probably shouldn't have, but it's there. <laughs> Earth 2 and World's Finest. And then we got the next Beyond Watchmen, which is um, Ozzy. Ozmandias. Ozymandias. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, we've got Morning Glories number 20 and a Transformers for you. Robots in Disguise Yay. number 7. So there Did you, you go. hear the good news about Detective Comics? I, I read, just kind of seen a blurb that something's going on, but I didn't... It's a new writer taking it over? It's uh, not just any new writer. Layman. That's right. I did read that. Yes. <laughs> I No, I remember reading that and going, oh, dude, that might be awesome. It can't be any worse. Really? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So with that, we are actually going to wrap it. And we will be back next week, of course, on... Wednesday, when we normally record. And so you can reach us at comicbookinformer.com if you want to send us an email. Either Roger at or Vince at Comic Book Informer. And of course, on Twitter at CB Informer. With that, we'll talk to you guys next week. Hey, what's up, man? Yeah, how's it going? I thought you said you were better. This is better. <laughs> oh, God. Well, you thought I was exaggerating on Monday? <laughs> Jesus, I nearly collapsed after the show. <laughs> notes. I got notes. When was the last time you made notes for the comics podcast? Dude, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Episode zero. Episode <laughs> never. There's a lot of. There's ten freaking issues. <laughs>
All right. Clearly, I've been putting too much effort into this. <laughs> hey, listen now. <laughs> you saying I'm not holding my own? I'm just saying <laughs> that if you've been coasting through the last 84 episodes... <laughs> I have not. <laughs> I'm just saying that I got, like, three pages of notes here. Jesus. I'm not suggesting I'm going to use them all. I'm just saying they're there. I've got two paragraphs. <laughs> yeah, who's not prepared now? I... <laughs> I'm prepared. You're just more prepared. prepared. All right. Well, that's fine.